When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hey, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug. Did you know that I write kids' books? If you have children, nieces, nephews, I have books that are totally available for free or $10 on Amazon for physical copies. You can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash kidsbooks to get access and learn more about that. Thank you for all of your support. Now let's get back to the show. One, two, three. Yeah! Hello and welcome back to Mixing Music. I'm your host, DK. Today we have a very awesome episode, um, basically just FAQs, some basic information that people have asked me, um, whether via email or via Instagram messages, and people have asked me questions, and today I want to take this episode to um, answer a few of them, the most common questions, um, as many as I can before I hit my uh, you know, my usual 20-minute time limit. Um, but first one, we're just going to get right into it. The first one is um, from a guy uh, who messaged me on Instagram, Anthony from Indiana. Uh, shout out to you. He asked me um, about signal flow. Uh, sends auxiliary buses, mains, stereo outs, etc., etc., um, and how it all works. Um, luckily, most DAWs work very, very similarly um, because most DAWs are trying to emulate kind of an analog console kind of vibe. Um, but I'm going to be talking in the perspective of Pro Tools. So when I'm looking at Pro Tools, I'm looking at inserts, sends, input, output, auxiliary buses, master buses, and VCAs, um, as well as instrument tracks and MIDI tracks, but we're not going to be talking about those this time around. Um, but basically, uh, it's, it's kind of a simple process. With sends, um, you can take a send, so it makes a copy of the signal. So oftentimes, you use sends for a reverb track where it goes to an auxiliary track, which is not an, au which is not an audio track, um, and uh, you put a reverb that's 100% wet in an auxiliary bus, and... Um, have that input be the output of the send, so that way it sends a, sends a copy um, of that exact track into the reverb, but it's 100% wet. So now you can manage multiple tracks with the same send um, and send just a little bit amount of that copy of that track into the same reverb. So that way you can use one reverb for multiple tracks and you can change the amount of reverb per track or instrument. Um, it's really useful. Another thing that you can do is, this is useful for side-chaining. So if you wanted to side-chain, let's say, a synth or whatever, um, you could send a copy uh, in the send. Um, I like to put the fader at zero and then the send fader at zero and put a pre-fader. Um, and then you, um, once you have that send in a bus, um, then you can 
put a compressor on the track that you want to sidechain um, and have the input of the compressor uh, have used that bus. So that way you're not actually having to use the sound of the kick to trigger it in the sense that like the sound of the kick is not actually doubling up. It's just a quiet copy. So there's actually no place for that send copy to be playing music. It's only just triggering the sidechain. I know that's a little bit confusing. I should do a better job explaining that, but it's hard to do without actually showing you in a video or something like that. Maybe I should do something like that. Hit me up if you want me to do YouTube videos because I need that motivation. <laughs> but um, another thing that's really awesome is VCAs. And, and VCAs in Pro Tools are really, really useful. Um, and to be honest, it uh, could be used a lot more, and I use them quite often um, when I can. VCAs are really awesome because it does not you know, have any insert or sends. It's honestly kind of just like a control unit where if you group a set of tracks, which you can do with Command-G, selecting tracks uh, and then Command-G, um, you can have a single fader. So the problem with having a group track is let's say you have a set of six horn tracks. Um, if you group them as one horn track, let's say, so if you do that, then any sort of automation or any sort of volume change that you do on one track, it'll change everything else. But if you group them and then put in a VCA track and set the VCA input to be that group, the horn group, then with the VCA fader, you can actually control all of the horns, um, which controls its individual volume. It's not a bus, so it doesn't go through that. It's literally just controlling the, the, the group. Um, but if you have a VCA bus, then all of a sudden the default of if you touch one of the saxophones, it doesn't change all of the saxophones. So you can have a VCA, which controls the entire group after you group them. And then if you have a VCA, then Pro Tools will recognize that there's a VCA there. So then it'll automatically switch over to then now most of the time you can change the individual tracks. So it's really nice if you're tired of hitting shift command G and turning off all the groups um, all the time just to do a little small independent move or volume change, then you, it might be useful to put in a VCA so that way you can change the entire group, but you can also change individual tracks. Just a little thought for you there. Really useful. Um, one thing that people um, don't think about as far as these uh, routing and auxes is that um, Pro Tools created a new shortcut a few, how do you say, a few versions ago where if you go to a send or if you go to an out, the output of Pro Tools, then you can see um, the buses, obviously your interface, input and outputs, the buses, but at the very bottom of that little menu that drops down, there's a, there's a button that says New Track. And when, when you click on New Track, it'll pull up um, the New Track menu, um, and you can name the track. Let's say, since I like to put all my uh, chorus vocals in a bus, so instead of having to individually um, treat them, I treat them all at once. Um, so once I do that, uh, it's really easy because I select the tracks that I want for the hook, the hook vo vocals. Um, I hold down shift option and I hit new track in the menu in the output. I click on the output and go down to new track and then I rename it to hook bus or whatever it is. Um, and then it automatically renames the bus, it creates a new bus, it renames the bus, and it routes all the tracks to that bus automatically, and it creates an aux bus automatically. So it's way faster than doing everything manually. Um, and let's, uh, let's talk about the reason why I do that. Yeah, so I create aux buses very often, not super duper often. Some of y'all get really, really crazy with them. Um, but 
the idea is I want to keep the fidelity. I mean, there's I could talk a lot about like phase and how EQ changes phase and stuff, but that's not as big of a reason as just honestly, just efficiency. So I have all of my usually, if I have a big group, then for example, the drums, I put it into the drum bus. And yes, I'll treat the each individual track of the drums uh, individually, but then I'll treat the entire drum bus, uh, do a little bit of compression, a little bit of EQ on the entire drum kit um, to really you know, do those last finishing touches on it. Um, maybe with hip hop music, I'll have, if I have the beat stems, I have the stems for the beat. Not only will I, you know, um, do some treatment on the separate tracks of the beat, but I'll also do a beat bus where I send all of the beat stems into a single bus so I can do some compression limiting, maybe some EQ on that individual beat bus. So like over the entire beat, um, oftentimes with vocals, um, I'll add, uh, individual treatment, some individual treatment if needed, but most of the time, if it's the same verse, but they've tracked it twice because they overlap each other or something like that, instead of just putting the same plugins, copying, pasting them into both of the individual tracks, I'll put it into a bus, um, and do it once. Um, that's for partially for processing, computer processing, save processing there by not putting twice as many plugins on, but as well as efficiency. It's way more efficient than doing the same exact thing twice. Um, but you run into problems when you do this. Uh, for example, ad libs, um, oftentimes in hip hop music, you have like yelling ad libs, like, woo, and then you have like, yeah, like really quiet ad libs. Um, so I have to like in the individual track before it goes to the aux where with the verses or the, uh, the hook, um, I'll hyper compress, like hyper, hyper compress, um, the ad lib. So it's super consistent and even before it hits my aux bus, just because I don't want any compressors in the aux bus being triggered by the loud spikes in the ad libs. Um, so feel it out. Um, if it works with your system and honestly, there's no right answer for this. So, um, whatever helps you and works with you, but you do, um, I would study a couple YouTube videos and understand how buses work, how VCAs work, how auxes work, how sends work, um, and obviously inserts is where you put your plugins. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully that helps. Uh, thank you. Um, if you have any more questions um, about that, um, I might do an entire episode based around that, maybe even do a video, but not really quite sure. So thank you, Anthony from Indiana, for asking me that one. Um, the next one that I've been asked is a lot about gain staging. Gain staging is a very interesting one. Um, the concept of gain staging in the past, and is so now, is recording as loud as possible without clipping. Uh, this is very, very uh, useful even now. Um, not as big of a deal now, but this is a problem that I see sometimes when people send me mixes to do, um, and all of the tracks are super duper quiet. When the tracks, the noise floor doesn't really change. It's always at like negative 100 or negative 90, depending on how good your gear is. But there's always that hiss that's quietly in the background. Um, and it's inherent in audio gear. Like you can't really take it out. Like technology has gotten better where it's very, very minimal and you can't even hear it. Um, and, and with acoustic, you know, songs, um, it's very apparent because acoustic instruments are quiet, so you have to crank the gain. But the, the, the idea is that if you record as hot as possible, um, then it separates the distance between the noise floor and the actual audio. Because by the time it gets to mastering, mixing and mastering, everything will have to get louder, and it's impossible to make the source sound louder without raising the, the noise floor. So if you record hot from the beginning, then 
you don't have to raise the volume during the mixing and mastering stage as much, so the noise floor stays lower. Um, don't take this too extreme and start recording everything super duper hot and normalizing everything before you send it to the mix engine. No, like that doesn't, that's not the best thing ever. Like, and clip, you can clip and clipping, unless you do it on purpose as part of like the taste or the sound of the song, like clipping is something that cannot be fixed. Right. And so if you don't want it, don't, don't clip it. Um, but at the same time, like I've gotten some mixes where they clipped it on purpose and it actually kind of sounds cool. Um, but yeah, uh, record as hot as possible this whole idea of recording at negative 18 or negative 15 or zero lufs like um we live in the digital age and if you're recording in pro tools that's not really a thing just record it as hot as possible but not like super duper hot um if that means negative 15 for you if that's your goal fine that's fine but um yeah as long as you don't clip on accident and as long as it's as hot as possible like it's gonna be fine you're okay you can always turn it down with the clip gain and whatnot um, but you cannot undistort a track once it's distorted. So be careful with that. So yeah, uh, hopefully that was good. Uh, let's talk about recording vocals real quick. Um, this is a big one for me as I've been mixing tons and tons of tracks. If you follow me on Instagram, you can see uh, on my stories that I'm mixing multiple tracks every single day. I'm so busy and I love it. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, but at the same time, I get a lot of mixes that people email me where they obviously did not send it on great recorded vocals. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a gearhead at all, and I don't think gear is the best thing to invest your money on as a business because there's not a lot of ROI from gear. But at the same time, if there's any one thing that's going to affect your sound a lot, it's going to be the microphone, um, especially the vocal microphone. Um, I can argue about microphones with any other instrument, but... Since the vocals are kind of the main part of most songs, and it's it's either hit or miss. Like, if the vocals don't sound good, then the song sucks. Like, to to a certain degree, that's the case most of the time. Um, so having a really nice microphone is really underrated, and people have kind of gotten a little bit lazy with that, in my opinion. I would say stop spending money on plugins, stop spending money on software, stop spending money on ha analog hardware, stop many, spending money on everything else, but please spend money on a microphone. Um, you can tell, I can tell cheap microphone versus a nice microphone immediately. A nice microphone, well, let's talk about a cheap microphone, actually. A cheap microphone will have a really tinny, really bright and pokey, like, 8 to 11K, like this 9K-ish area. It's like, it, it's the sibilance, but it might, sometimes it's slightly above sibilance. Um, and it's just really harsh and really bright, and the speakers that I use are really, really good that hear that frequency and it's like really annoying. And when I get a really nice microphone, that's not there. It's really balanced and smooth and control. Another thing is usually with cheaper microphones, that 3K area it tends to be a little bit pokey. Obviously, the resonances of the voice and the performance and um, all of that have to do with it as well. But oftentimes with nicer microphones, you just have less resonating frequencies. And it's a lot smoother and I have to EQ a lot less. Uh, let me say EQ specific frequencies, like really tight notches going down a lot less. And uh, my EQs look a lot more pretty and a lot less like crazy. I've had certain sessions where like I'm screaming at myself like, oh my gosh, this is so difficult and it's so hard. And also like, what is going on with this vocal? Because the vocal wasn't recorded well and it was recorded on a bad microphone in a bad room and all of that above. So please do not skimp out on buying a nice microphone. Um, 
you know what's a really great microphone that's not that expensive? The SM7B. I'm using it to record my voice right now on the podcast, and um, it's great. You have to crank the gain on it because it's a quiet mic. It's a quiet dynamic mic, but because it's a dynamic mic, you don't have to worry about the room as much because it doesn't pick up the room as much. Um, and it sounds great, and it's really smooth. Um, it's not as smooth as like a C12, but nobody has $8,000 to spend on a single microphone. Um, but anyways, if you're looking to buy a new microphone, there's a website called audiotestkitchen.com where you can actually listen and compare different microphones. Um, please do that. Um, use audiotestkitchen.com and think about your mic choices and please do not cheap out on a microphone. What I mean by cheaping out is anything less than $400. Because to be fair, you can buy a pretty nice microphone um, for less than $400, but if you're trying to get to that next level, at least spend $500, $600. And if you have two grand to spend, then you're going to have a really great microphone. Um, to, for, for reals, though, that's the only piece of gear that I do think that you should invest your money on. Like, I myself am pretty nerdy, and I've, like, gone to the point where I built my own C12 just because I wanted that sound in the studio, and I didn't want to spend $8,000, so I just spent about... A little bit less than that. Well, look, actually a lot less than that in parts and just built it myself. Um, yeah, and I'm not going to talk about that, but we can get really nerdy if we want to. Um, but recording vocals, yeah, please record on a nice microphone. You know, another mic, if you're really going to cheap out and like really you have no other choice, first off, never ever use a USB microphone as much as possible as far as like music recording for like dialogue, podcasts, whatever, it's fine. USB microphones, unfortunately, um, do not sound as great. Generally speaking, they they're have more functionality and they have to spend money putting the converter into it, so that means they cheaped out on the actual components just to keep the cost low. Um, it economically, is impossible to make a USB microphone that's cheap sound good um, because they have to allocate costs to other parts of the mic and other features. So, um, But as well as, uh, yeah, so, I mean, use what you have. Don't ever let your equipment be an excuse to not make music because making music and being creative is way more important. Um, and it's dumb to be insecure about stupid stuff like equipment. Um, but at the same time, um, if you're able to, like if you're going to cheap out on a microphone, you know what's a, another great sounding microphone that's actually not horrible is the SM58, the one that you see on stage. Um, I know that's weird, but like it sounds smooth and it's great. Like it has a couple pokey frequencies usually, but um, I use I get I let my clients borrow one of my SM58s because a local client because his mic sucked, <laughs> and uh, it sounds way better. Um, yeah, don't underestimate dynamic microphones. Yeah, um, yeah. But then mixing it down is a total another story. Where dynamic microphones are darker, so don't be afraid to crank that high end if you need to, especially with more pop vocal type stuff. Um, let's talk a little bit about recording drums, and I think this will be the last uh, FAQ question today. Drums, recording drums. I know that a lot of y'all record and or mix uh, real drums, and I've spent many, many years recording and mixing real drums. I have not always been doing just hip-hop, and to be fair, I still to this day, only about 85, okay, I'm going to be honest, about 90% of my clientele is hip-hop. Um, but every once in a while, I'll get like a really funky Wolfpack kind of like Earth, Wind & Fire, Stevie Wonder kind of vibey track, and I'll be like, oh, shoot, and I just destroy it. And maybe I'll do a mix breakdown with that song. But um, I love drums, and recording drums has been the one part of the tracking part that I miss because I don't track really anymore. 
Um, tracking drums is very difficult, uh, but at the same time, it's infinitely creative and flexible, and it's really awesome. It's a lot of fun. It's like a challenge that you try to solve, and it can be really fun and entertaining. Drums, the secret to recording drums is having a really good drum set and drummer. Um, obviously, not cheaping out and getting that $100 set for five microphones. Um, as long as you don't get that, honestly, if you just get a bunch of SM57s around the entire drum kit, like that would actually sound pretty good. But if you, unless, if you don't cheap out on the microphones, like all the way, um, you can cheap out a little bit, that's fine. It's not as important as the vocals, to be honest, in my opinion, but people will argue with me against that. Having a really good, nice drum kit, you know what makes a kick sound great? It's not the position, it's not the microphone, it's having a good kick drum and having it tuned well. You know what else? It's also having a great drummer that knows how hard to hit the kick drum. Have you ever recorded a drummer that hits their drums so damn hard that they have no tone in their drum kit? Yeah. Recording them... And they're always so prideful about their drumming too. But recording them is never a good experience and you can't get tone out of their drum kit. So like for a drummer, like honestly tuning the actual drum kit and the drummer is more important than the signal chain and the microphones. Honestly, that'll change the sound the most. That's the secret with a drum recording. Um, as well as, you know what? Um, watch YouTube videos and figure out the different techniques. Different techniques sound different in different rooms. If you have high ceilings, that's usually better for drums. And often with drums, like having a perfectly dry room is not the best situation. Um, experiment. Don't be afraid. There's no right answer. There's just a vibe. And uh, get a better drum set. Okay, that's it for this today's episode. Thank you for listening to Mixing Music. If you like what you hear, then please leave a five-star review. I know a few of you have left five-star reviews, and I really, really appreciate you. And I read what you say, and it really does help my show. It's a free way that y'all can help my show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate my review five stars and leave a little comment. Say, like, hey, man, or something like that, you know. <laughs> um, if you'd like to see my day-to-day -day life uh, where I'm mixing music constantly and or if you'd like to just message me DM me more FAQ type questions I can answer them and maybe even turn it into a podcast episode you can hit me up at D-E-E-K-E-I mixes D-K mixes um, on Instagram hit me up um, thank you for listening happy mixing and stay saucy one two three This episode of Mixing Music with DK has been brought to you by LaunchPod Media. If you want to start a podcast, make sure to start it right with LaunchPod Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug. Did you know that I write kids' books? 
If you have children, nieces, nephews, I have books that are totally available for free or $10 on Amazon for physical copies. You can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash kids books to get access and learn more about that. Thank you for all of your support. Now let's get back to the show. 